really glad that you're joining us this morning. Those of you, uh, this is your first time or first time in a long time, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you. And those of you who have been around a while, we're also glad to have you. Uh, my name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. It's, it's just a privilege uh, to be able to do that. Uh, and for those of you who have been around a while, several months, uh, almost a year now, you know we have been uh, we've been looking at at uh, how God uh, is calling us to be the church in this community, uh, and a part of that is is growing and expanding and uh, creating a space not just for our church, but uh, to make a community impact. And so uh, we've been talking with, over the last several months, a group called the Solomon Foundation. Last week we talked to you about uh, how we are pre-approved through them to continue moving forward. And I want to let you know something really cool. This past week, over the last several days, uh, some of the people from our shepherding team and some of the people from our lead team and our staff, we got to go out to Conway, South Carolina, uh, and and spend some time with the church there and some of their leadership and staff there to talk through about uh, how they work with the Solomon Foundation and, and how, um, how they prepared uh, just, just to be able to serve their community. Some of the fascinating and really exciting things that they were doing there. And we got to talk with them and pray with them and spend time with them and, and eat with them. That was great. It was such a blessing. And I'm really thankful for our, our church leadership here is committed to doing that. Uh, as we we drove out there, if you've ever drove from here to Myrtle Beach, it's a little bit of a haul. Uh, and we uh, we stayed together in a, in the Airbnb there, and it was so much fun. We had a great time uh, spending some time together and praying and talking about what God is doing. And that's what this series really is all about: is about saying, "All right, God, what do you want us to do here and now?" Uh, I've, I've been a part of church in the past where we we kind of fixated on the early church, you know, being the early church. And here's the interesting thing is that we were never called to be imitators of the early church. We can learn a lot from them, and that's wonderful. And we get lots of great examples, also lots of poor examples, by the way. Uh, we were never, <laughs> if you have any questions about this, read through First and Second Corinthians and realize you don't want to imitate the early church, right? There's a lot of drama that happens there. We are called to imitate Christ, and Christ was this, this, uh, this presence in the community that pointed people in a relationship with the Father. He, was, he said he, he was called not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And, and folks, that's what the church is. We're, we are the hands and feet of Jesus here in this community. And so as we continue to look forward to that, we wanted to create a sermon series to remind us of what God has called us to do and who he is, and how he helps us be those things here and now because it feels so monumental. So last week we started a series called Immeasurably More, and we read about in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, remember Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus. If you were here last week, you may remember that as Paul prays over this church, he prays uh, and reveals the character of God. And you may remember that as he does so, he kind of points out three things that God is loving, right? And we, we 
read that all the way through Scripture, that God is powerful and that God is generous uh, and that God can do, uh, as Paul would, would say, immeasurably more, more than we ask or imagine. In fact, Paul says it's so much more that he actually made up a word for that, right? It's, it's, it's a combination of a lot of words to say, uh, you, can't, you can't begin to describe what God can do. Uh, you can't fathom what God can do. It's just way more than what you could ever begin to ask for or imagine. But it's hard for us to grasp a hold of that it's hard for us to understand, especially if you're going through a rough season of time. Maybe it's a, a rough season of marriage, or it's a rough season of parenting, or it's just a rough season of finances, or maybe it's just a, a rough season of depression or anxiety, or things don't seem to be lining up, and it's hard to feel like God can do immeasurably more. And that's because uh, we live oftentimes in a scarcity mindset. We just don't believe that God can really do immeasurably more. And so last week, if you're here, we learned a new word, dianu. How many of you remember that word? Two of you, good. We're down one. The, the normal third person is out this week, so that's all right. A dianu, it, it means it would have been enough. It would have been enough. And this is a reminder that every day we're living in the abundance of God. And so we have to have that daily reminder. It's, it's an old Hebrew word that says, man, God, it would have been enough if you woke me up today, but I ate. And it would have been enough if I'd have just eaten something, had something to eat, but it was something I enjoyed. And, and it would have been enough, God, if, if, if you would have woke me up and I ate something that I enjoyed, but you gave me enough money that I had transportation my own transportation, and it would have been enough if, if I had to come together with just one or two other people because in your word that says that's, that's the church. But here I am with a group full of people who are serving and loving and being God in our community. And so Dianu is a reminder that it would have been sufficient or it would have been enough, but God is always abundantly more than we ask or imagine we talked about how God wants us to live in the abundant. And before you begin to think, all right, this sounds, Steve, a little bit like this, uh, you know, prosperity gospel, I want to remind you that the abundance modeled by God is what you have you give away. That God blesses you to be a blessing to those around you. That he never gives you the things for you. He gives those things to you for you to pass along to others. So if you weren't with us last week, that's where we, that's where we wrapped up in this series. And we're kind of leading to really what God is calling us to be here. That we live in the abundance, meaning everything that God gives us, we give away. That, that we continue to be conduits of what God has given to us. If you have your Bible, open up uh, to Acts uh, chapter 7. We're going to pick up there towards the end. Uh, but I want us to look at in real tangible ways now throughout the scripture of what this immeasurably more means. 
what it looks like, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine because sometimes I think we can gloss over stories and scriptures in the Bible where we don't see the correlation between a prayer or an asking or a believing and what God does in response to that. So today we're going to look at that, but before we begin to read this story, I kind of want to set the stage for you a little bit. There's, a, there's an early church member, his name is Stephen, and, and Stephen, uh, we find out he's a servant in the church, he, he, he's a faithful follower of God, and, and he helps people out. He begins to, to kind of teach, he opens his mouth, and as sometimes as you do, and you begin to talk about God and the things that he desires for our lives, he did not make a lot of friends. In fact, he made a lot of quick enemies among the religious elite at the time, so much so that they decided they couldn't handle any more of Stephen's mouth, right? And so they decided they were going to stone him. Now, if you're not familiar with biblical stoning, that's different than modern day stoning. I'm just letting you know that. This is where they, (laughs) I just feel like sometimes you need to explain things. I'm just saying, you know, I'm trying to think. They would take rocks, right? And they would they'd throw them till, till the person w- uh, was killed. And so they, they gathered up stones and they're getting ready to stone Stephen because he has made them so mad with his theology. This is what it says, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin, this is elite group of religious people, heard this, what Stephen was preaching, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at them. That's kind of a funny scene, by the way. I don't, like, I get being angry, but like just, you know, like if I was Stephen, I'd be like, and? You know, like, is that the best you got? And they had worse, okay? So, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at a young feet, uh, at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That doesn't mean he took a nap. The author is eloquently saying that he passed away. But I think about this story with Stephen and it, it, it really blows my mind that he can have the heart throughout this whole time as he's being killed, persecuted by the people who would be so nasty as they would like gnarl their teeth, they cover their ears, they begin yelling at him, they can't take it anymore, so they kill him, that, that he would say, not just, Lord, receive my spirit, but don't hold this sin against them. I don't know about you, but that seems like a really big prayer. All right, have you ever been in a situation where uh, somebody was really treating you nasty and you're like, all right, listen, God, whatever you do, don't hold the way they treat me against them. Now, usually you're like, all right, God, you need to set them straight a little bit. You know what I mean? 
It wouldn't, it wouldn't, I wouldn't care if you kind of realign their, their, their belief system here. If you would just remove them from the equation, that would be great. But I feel like Stephen prays a big prayer. It's, hey, listen, don't hold what they're doing against them. It's a big prayer. I don't know if you know this, um, but this prayer winds up being answered immeasurably more than Stephen could ask or imagine. But first, I want to concentrate on something that I think is huge, something that I think we don't often get, something that's a really hard pill to swallow, and that is following God will require making big sacrifices. It just requires making big sacrifices. There's going to be times where you really want to do something, whatever that something is, and you wind up in the course of following God having to tell yourself no or coming to the place where you say, you know, it would be a way easier to take this out. And I think that's true of Stephen. There could have been a time where he was like, you know, I, I see I'm really starting to make these people mad. And maybe I should kind of like lay off or, or kind of sweep out the side here. But he continues on because following God will require at some point making some big sacrifices. And that's why I want to ask you a question today. The question is, what are you devoted to. What are you devoted to? And here's a great way to figure out what you're devoted to. What you're devoted to, you'll sacrifice for. What you're devoted to, you'll sacrifice for. For some of us, you know, it's like your, your weakness, you know, the thing you're devoted to is like new technology, right? You love that. You want to have the latest gadget, whatever, whatever that is. And so it's like, you're waiting for that. You'll save up that money. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just something you're devoted to. For some of you, it's, it's devoted to something you're like, all right, every year we're going to, you know, we're going to make this trip, whatever this trip I'm devoted, I'm all in. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I need to, to make this trip happen. For some of you, it's your spouse, your family, whatever it is, like all things are off when it comes to this thing. And so my question is, what is it in your life that you're devoted to? It's all out. There's that you, you would sacrifice whatever you need to sacrifice in order to make that happen. And what we see here in Stephen's life is somebody who is completely sold out. He's completely devoted. He's willing to sacrifice everything for what he believes. And I think that's why he's able to pray this really big prayer. Because he believes in a God who is immeasurably more than he asked or imagined. In his last words, Stephen prays that God will not only hold, uh, he, that he prays that, that, that God would not hold the sins against these people who are killing him. And that seems crazy. But what I want you to notice is what Luke throws in. Did you notice right before he prays that, who's present? If you notice, throw it out. Saul's there. He's right there. In fact, it bookends it, right? He's there before and he's there after. 
And I wonder if Stephen was praying, God forgive them, if it would have not blown his mind. <laughs> it, if it would have not been immeasurably more than what he could have asked or imagined to say, you know what, Saul, I'm not just going to take this person who's, who's holding the coats of those who are going to kill you, who's approving it, who's seeking down and killing actively Christians. I'm going to take that person. It's not that I'm not just going to not hold it against them. I'm going to take that very person and now they're going to be fundamentally a key component in the life of all Christians from this point forward. That when we read through the Bible, the majority of the New Testament is written by this guy who is right here hearing your prayer, holding the coats and approving of your death. in Acts chapter 9, don't miss this. It's just one chapter removed. Stephen's prayer is answered immeasurably more than what he asked or imagined. Acts 9 chapter 1, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for the letters of the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. He couldn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a man named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision, he seemed a man uh, named Ananias come to the place and uh, uh, place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, <laughs> Ananias replied, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, Ananias is like, I, I'm starting to see what you're putting together here, and I'm not on board, right? I don't know if you've heard the report, but I've heard some reports about this guy. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call on your name. I'm just giving you a little heads up may not be safe, may not be good. I'm having some doubts. I would say Ananias is probably living in, listen to this, a scarcity mentality. Not in the sense of money, but in a sense of what God can do. God, there's no, I, I understand that you're calling me to do this, but there's no way I'm not gonna die. You realize this. You realize that this is not gonna turn out well, right? The Lord saying to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to tell the people of Israel. 
and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, I feel like there was a stumble, like there was like a hesitation. Like, you just stay over there for a minute. Are you, you got a knife on you, a shank, anything? You know, like, no stones, right? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fall from fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul spent several days with the disciples there in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God and all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem? among those there who called on his name. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know about you, but I think Stephen's prayer was answered immeasurably more than what he could have asked or imagined. I think as he stood there in his dying breath, he probably thought, man, if there's any way I can ask God to cover these people with grace, that would be great. And, and all of heaven said, no, you don't even begin to understand what we can do with your prayer. You, you, you don't have any inkling of idea of what's about to happen. When faithfully you pray to a God who is immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. See, as we move forward together as a church, I think it's important for us. So we say, all right, like, what do we do with that? That's great, but what do we do? Like, how do we, what do we put that into place and Listen, we can, have, uh, we can have an amazing worship band, and we do. I mean, they, they work hard at, at bringing us before the throne every week, and I appreciate so much their hearts in that. And we can have an amazing uh, shepherding team who, who loves and serves and cares and prays for and we do. And we can have an amazing lead team who, who, who helps cast vision and get things done. That's awesome. We can even have good sermons <laughs> and, and sometimes that happens, you know. <laughs> but listen, our goal has never changed. Jesus gave it in Matthew 28 when he was like, listen, all right, disciples who gather around, disciples who worship me and sometimes doubt, because that's exactly what happened as they gathered around a risen Jesus that day, and he begins to speak over their life what their mission is. He says, go and make disciples. What does that mean? It means to transform lives, and that has never changed. See, our biggest, don't miss this, our biggest prayer our greatest joy, our most significant mission should be to help others find a transforming relationship with God above anything else. Above anything else. 
No matter what else we do, all the good things we do, I'm looking forward to a day for good. I love that. I love being able to serve our community. I think that's so important. But above anything else, our biggest prayer, our greatest joy, our most significant mission is to help people find a transforming relationship with Jesus. Church, are you with me? That's our biggest mission. We can't aspire to anything greater than that, and we don't need anything greater than that. See, once you have that relationship on your own, you realize the things that God has pulled you out of. I don't know about you, but my life is so drastically different than it was 25 years ago. I'm not the same person. Thank God you'd never let me up here. I mean, you may not let me in the door. I don't know. You know I'm just a different person. And if you've been there, you understand the transforming nature of God who can take a character like Saul, turn him into Paul, and preach the gospel and the good news and change lives. See, that's immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. The vision of Wellhouse looks like beginning to change the spiritual landscape of the community in which we worship. We talked about this uh, a couple of months ago that as we looked at where we are and what we're called to do that 42% or let's put a number on that 17,126 people in our community have no religious affiliation. And that's higher than the national average of 26.8%. I want you to think about that. That's almost almost one out of every two people you meet. And there's a reason for that. Some people grew up with some kind of belief, but over the course of time, that the, the belief that they grew up with didn't match their reality, or maybe they got burned by church, they got burned by a relationship, or they just didn't grow up in a home that valued that at all, or whatever it is. There's a group of people around us who are in desperate need. And I know what you're thinking, man, 17,126 people. Steve, that seems like a really big number. My question is, yeah, it does. My statement is, yeah, it does. It does seem like a big number, but it doesn't seem like that big of a number when I know we have a God who is immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. See, when I live into the scarcity mindset of it, I have a bunch of questions. I have questions like, what does it look like? And am I enough? And what, what could we do? And what, what difference could we possibly make? But I know we are called to change a spiritual landscape of the community. And so how do we begin to do that? What does that look like? I think it begins a little bit the way that Stephen's stuff does. And I don't mean like we're about to drag you out and stone you in the parking lot. Yeah, don't get worried. But I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you with what you're devoted to. So let this step on your toes for just a moment. And I promise I love you. But I want to challenge you what in your day-to-day -day life you're truly devoted to. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you have your phone on you, I want you to pull it out for a moment. And, uh, and I want you to... Um, go to 
go to setting your alarms. You know where that is. Some of you know where that is in your phone. And if you don't, sneak a peek at what your neighbor is doing. They'll help you out. If, if they don't know either, ask somebody who's, you know, under 30. They will definitely help you. Um, and I want you to set a timer on your phone every day at 7 a.m. And I know what some of you are thinking, that's, that's like early, right? 7 a.m., that's early. Okay, I told you, Steve's not going to be nice for a moment. Some of you are already at work. Now, you can go back to sleep, but I want you to set an alarm for 7 a.m. every Monday morning. Not every morning, every Monday morning. And I want you to write a reminder in when your alarm goes off to pray for three things. How do we start this process of changing the landscape? Well, Paul reminds us of what happened in his life. Immeasurably more than we, come on, ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than we ask. There's a part of asking in there. There's a part of praying or imagine. It's when you say, all right, listen, God, what are you calling me to do? I'm not even sure what it looks like, but would you begin to fill my heart? Would you begin to fill my mind with what it is you want me to do? And so I'm going to ask you to pray for three things at 7 o'clock every morning, every Monday morning for the next 12 months. Big devotion. Are you ready? Here's the first thing. Are you with me? Some of y'all are looking scared. Like, you didn't even know that it was a 7 a.m. You're like, does that time actually exist in the morning? I promise it does. I promise it. Yeah. yeah. They're like, I didn't know. All right, here we go. Ready? First thing is this. God, give me a heart for those who don't know you. Somebody already set their alarm. God, give me a heart for those who don't know you. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I think as Christians we can become calloused with that. Like we hear those statistics of 42% and we're like, yeah, that's kind of the way the world is now. And I wonder, I wonder about like uh, if, we were, if, we, if we could take our church back in time to the early church and we're like, okay, now there's about 99% of the world that doesn't believe uh, what you believe. I want you to go change it. And they'd be like, yeah, well, that's just kind of the way it is. They're like, no, 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 no. We're devoted to this thing. We're sold out on this thing. And we will commit to this thing because we believe that a transforming relationship with Christ is worth it. So I want you to pray first that God would give you a heart for those who don't know God. The second thing is this, that you would pray, God, give me the courage to share my story about you. Sometimes we wonder, like, all right, we throw out words. You're probably familiar if you grew up in the church. It's like uh, you hear the word evangelism. What does that mean? That sounds scary. I don't know a whole lot of, I don't know very many Bible verses. I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not a preacher, a teacher. Really, truly what evangelism is, is sharing your own story about God with somebody else. It's sharing how God transformed your life, the mess you had, where you were, I think that's the beautiful thing about uh, Paul's stories, that we can see the transformation of who he was to who he became. And so we pray, God, give me the courage to share my story about you. And the last thing is this, 
God, open my eyes to the person you're putting in my path. And I'll be honest with you, that can be scary. That's like the Ananias. God, are you sure? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not sure this is a good idea. I'm not sure this person even really likes me. I'm not sure that this person really believes or trusts in you. But God, would you open my eyes to the person that you're putting in my path? Would you, church, consider praying for those three things every Monday morning as a church? Would you be devoted to that? Because, see, God can do, God can take those three kind of simple prayers and make it immeasurably more than what you ask or imagine. In fact, I think he can take those three prayers and change the spiritual landscape of our community with a group of people who are devoted to him. And so I'm going to ask you to be devoted. I, um, I love this time that we have together to encourage one another, to support one another, to inspire one another, to, um, to follow God more closely. And I was reminded this week as we traveled together, I thought, you know, the older I get, um, the more I realize time is slipping away, uh, that I don't have as much time left. You know, I'm not old, but I'm older, you know, if you ask my kids, I'm really old. Um, I thought, all right, with, with the amount of time that I have left on this earth, what do I want to do? And I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy playing church. I don't enjoy showing up and like putting on a smile and saying hello and checking the box and leaving and I don't know about you, but I desire so much more than that. And I believe God has called me to so much more than that. And I believe God has called you to so much more than that. So I want us to encourage each other as the days draw closer that, that we would be more and more devoted in our life to Christ and what he has called us to. Because our community needs us. There's a huge, huge need. And we can close our eyes. We can pray for way less. We can live in a scarcity mindset of there's nothing we can do. And that's just the way the tables have turned. And that's just the way our world is now. Or we can say, listen, God, we still believe you're capable of doing even more than we ask or imagine. So we're asking that you would help us transform this community to look more like you. So maybe in my lifetime, I don't see it. But maybe my kids do. And maybe one day somebody's writing about this and they're saying, you remember the person who just decided, you know, one day like, all right, listen, I'm gonna live boldly into this mission that you've called me to do to transform lives. And it wasn't easy and it wasn't perfect, but it was oh so worth it. So today, as we gather around our communion tables, 
I'm reminded of a sacrifice that was made for you and me. And as you take that sacrifice, I want you to reflect on what you're willing to sacrifice for. What you're devoted to, you'll always sacrifice for. God was so devoted to you. He so loved you that he sent his very best for your very worst without hesitation, without any kind of reluctancy. He was all in. And so as you take the the emblems today, the the juice that represents his blood and the cracker that represents his, his body, I want you to reflect, am I... Like, have I been living all in? Am I completely devoted? And if you're not, take it anyway and ask God to help you. When you want to turn off the alarm, when you don't want to set it, when you're like, that's a good idea, preacher man, but I don't get up that early for nothing. You know, like, there could be a fire in my house and I'm still sleeping. Would I be devoted anyway? Would I be devoted to something bigger than me? Because I believe maybe God is doing something bigger than me. Would you stand with me as we say the blessing and then we'll go to the tables. May the Lord bless you. Keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. And him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables.